We're in a series called Don't Worry, Be Happy. I'll do me a favor. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> We're looking at what the Bible says about worry and what the Bible says about happiness, but let me be clear, the battle of discouragement and the battle against worry and fear and anxiety, that's a daily fight, is it not? Come on, this is not a one and done kind of thing where you can walk down to the altar and I can slap you and you'll never worry about anything again. Don't you wish, don't I wish. <laughs> Sounds fun. Come on, we daily fight the good fight of faith. It's a daily thing, just somebody the daily thing. Okay, the, the, the truth is we all face difficult things in life, but we can have peace in knowing that God is right there with us through it all. And that's really the point of this series. This, this Christian life is not about the absence of problems, it's about the presence of God. Last week, we talked about worry. We got any worry warts in the house? Come on, just raise your hand. Uh, some of y'all are worried about raising your hand right now. You're making my point. But the Word of God tells us over and over and over again, do not worry. Why does it tell us that? Because over and over and over again, we worry. We worry about everything. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Worrying does not add anything to your life. If worry made you taller, some of y'all could play for the NBA. Some of y'all worry so much, if worry made you taller, you'd have to stoop down to put shingles on your roof. Come on. Jesus said worry adds nothing to your life. And this morning, we're going to talk about what the Bible says about depression, and we're going to look at the life of Elijah. And let me give you a disclaimer. I am not a psychologist. Okay? I am not. By the way, how many psychologists does it take to screw in the light bulb? Just one, but the bulb has to walk to change. <laughs> oh, now I'm depressed because some of y'all didn't laugh at my jokes. I'm not against psychologists, and I'm not against psychiatrists. In fact, I'm for many of them, okay? Not Freud. <laughs> Freud was a pervert and a freak and a fraud, okay? So I, I'm not for Freudian psychology, okay? But for the most part, I'm for psychiatry and psychology. Why? Because they help people. I like what Kenneth Hagin said years ago. He said, I agree with more doctors than I do preachers because at least the doctors agree that people ought to be healed. <laughs> Hello. Well, I'll start something now. Write me a letter. I'll tear it up, baby. <laughs> I'm for psychiatry and psychology because they do help people. Uh, I know people personally who have been helped by them. That's one reason why I'm also not against medication. I have a close friend several years ago. He got in trouble. <laughs> he got in a call the police and get arrested kind of trouble. I mean, it was a, he had a lot of fun that night. But the thing is, the judge said, buddy, you got to get help. So they sent him to a psychiatrist who put, home, put him on medication, and I really believe. Now, this is somebody I know personally. I really believe that medication saved his life. He was on a downward Spiral, and this psychiatrist helped him. It's amazing the help he got. So I'm not against psychology or psychiatry, but you got to remember, okay, we are tripartite beings. 
We are, okay, the, 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 the psychologists treat the mind, psychiatrists treat the body, but we are not just mind and body. We are mind, body, and spirit. You cannot treat the body and treat the mind and ignore the spirit or you still won't have problems. No. So today I'm going to talk about spiritual principles that deal with the issue of depression. It is important that we talk about depression. Because it's something that many Christians don't talk about. And unfortunately, many ones who do talk about it do more harm than good. It's like the church marquee that I saw one time. It said, don't let depression kill you, but let the church help I don't like the way that sounds, but sadly, it's pretty accurate because a lot of churches do a poor job of ministry to those who are dealing with depression. Too many churches have been on the wrong side of the issue, so from the beginning, I want to debunk a big myth, okay? The biggest myth about depression is the idea that Christians don't get depressed. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That's like saying Christians don't get sick and Christians don't struggle with temptation. Of course we do. We are human beings, okay? We all deal with these things. Now, depression is not God's will any more than sickness is God's will. But the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. We are in the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God has not fully come. That means that we are heirs of God's kingdom, citizens of heaven, but we're still stuck in this old sinful, broken, corrupt world. You all with me so far? Okay. Listen, according to the biblical record, a lot of good, godly people have dealt with depression over the years and over the ages. Let me tell you some people in the Bible who struggle with this. I think about a man named Job. Several years ago, I was on the board of a Bible college, and we had a graduation. And there was a man there who wrote a book on Job, and he was selling his books at the table. And these two girls just graduated from Bible college, mind you. They came out and said, oh, girl, I need a job. Let's get that book. Take the diploma away. The Bible says that Job was a righteous man, that he was blameless before God, and yet when Job was grieving the loss of his family, he cursed the day he was born. Job said, it would, better, it would have been better for me to have never even lived than to face the sorrow and pain I'm going through right now. The Bible talks about a woman named Hannah. Hannah's son, Samuel, was one of the greatest prophets and leaders in the Bible. But for years and years before the birth of Samuel, Hannah was unable to have children. She was grieved by it. It haunted her every single day. And to make things work, people made fun of her publicly because she couldn't have children. People are cruel, aren't they? And they haven't changed same human nature in the Bible, the same human nature today. There are cruel people in this world. The Bible says that Hannah was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Anybody remember Jonah? Jonah was a great prophet in the Bible. Jonah was a prophet that Jesus talked about. Jonah accomplished some great and mighty things, yet Jonah became so depressed that twice he prayed that God would just let him die. Aren't you glad God doesn't answer every prayer we pray? I said, aren't you glad God doesn't answer every prayer we pray? Lord, please let me marry her. Please let me marry her. Then you see her 10 years later at Walmart. She's got more kids and she's got teeth. <laughs> aren't you glad God doesn't answer every prayer we pray? That was a word for somebody. Hallelujah. 
Think about the prophet Jeremiah who said, weeping as he watched Jerusalem fall to the Assyrians. Lamentations 3.17, he said, my soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. Jeremiah was so distraught, he forgot what it even felt like to be happy. So he said, my strength has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. Jeremiah lost all hope. He later said in that chapter, my soul is downcast within me. Jeremiah, like Job, cursed the day he was born. And if you, if you listen, I'll tell you somebody else who understands your struggles. Jesus knows. And Jesus understands. Jesus absolutely understands. Listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews 4.14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus faced every struggle that we face. Isaiah 53, 3, talking about Jesus, that he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus understands the struggle and the pain of your life like nobody else is. That's why you can trust him. That's why you can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Everybody struggles. One of my jobs as a pastor is to be the keeper of secrets. I've had a lot of people uh, unsolicited just start confessing all their sins and all their deepest, darkest secrets. Listen, we're not Catholic. I don't know why y'all keep coming to me for confessional. You can go straight to the main man himself, but uh, it seems like some of y'all, every time we're alone together, you just start spilling everything. If I backslide, I'm going to be a millionaire based on blackmail I've got on y'all. Okay. This is what I've learned as the keeper of secrets. Everybody's got struggles. Okay? Come on, so do me a favor, just in transparency. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, I'm struggling. Come on, tell them, okay, but you're struggling too. Because everybody struggles. <laughs> Listen, everybody struggles with something. Over the years, I've talked to people who struggle with adultery, with homosexuality, with gender identity, with stealing from the company, with cheating their customers, with drugs, with alcohol, with gossip. Oh, oh, Pastor, you have it till you said gossip. Think about the story of Fred. Fred moved to a new town, and, and right down the street from his house is this little country church, and he started going to the country church, and everybody was, oh, hey, Brother Fred, hey, Brother Fred, nice to see you with Brother Fred. And, and one Sunday he was walking in, and he, hold, he heard old sister Bertha better than you. Talking about Fred, she said, oh, Fred, I don't know about Fred. I think Fred, I think Fred likes to drink. Why did you, why did you say that? Because I think I saw his truck outside the ABC. Fred didn't say nothing. He just nods and he said, the person good to see you. Just walked in and sat down. But that night, Fred went and parked his truck outside of Bertha's house and left it there all night long. You better watch who you talk about. Whether it's gossip or something else, we all struggle with something. <laughs> but the incredible thing is that Jesus 
knows those struggles. He faced those same temptations. There is not a temptation Jesus did not also face even suicidal thoughts. You say, how can you say that? It's written down in the Bible. When Jesus tempted, when Satan tempted Jesus, what did he do? He took him on the top of the pinnacle and said, throw yourself off. Satan tempted him with those thoughts of self-harm. And this is what Jesus said. He responded with the word of God. He said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Listen, therapy is good and medicine is good, but you can't treat the body and the mind and forget about your soul. If you want to overcome depression, you need to know what the Word of God says about your situation. Amen? All right, roll me one or the other. Amen. Somebody say something. We just read in Lamentations 3 where Jeremiah was so depressed, so discouraged that he lost hope. Jeremiah said in the midst of his depression and despair, in Lamentations 3.21, he said, This I recall to my mind. Therefore, have I hope it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. Say in my soul, therefore, will I hope in him. If you don't listen to anything else I say today, remember this. You have hope in God. God's compassion and His mercy are made new every morning. So every day when you wake up, no matter how you feel or what you're facing, remind yourself, God has made His mercy new in my life today. You have hope in God. You are not alone and you are not forgotten. Psalm 34, 18 says this, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed. Let's look for a moment at the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Okay, uh, while, we're, while we're going over to 1 Kings 19, let me give you the backdrop of what's going on, okay? Elijah had just accomplished the greatest miracle of his ministry. He confronted the false prophets and he challenged them, okay? He said, you build an altar to your God, I'll build an altar to my God, and let the true God prove himself by sending fire on the altar. The prophets of Baal built their pagan altar and they prayed to Baal and they begged and they pleaded and they even cut themselves. Nothing happened. Then Elijah prayed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our God, the one true God, and God sent fire from heaven and consumed the altar. By the way, the true God still, re still replies with fire from heaven. Amen? He did on the day of Pentecost in the upper room and he still will in your life. Elijah confronted and defeated the prophet of Baal. It was an incredible miracle and a great victory for Elijah. Not only that, but afterwards, Elijah goes up on the mountain to pray. Israel had been in a famine. Elijah prays, God send the rain. Seven times he prays, and on the seventh time, God sends a cloud the size of a man's hand. I mean, you know, it's not the, not the size of the cloud, but it's the God who sends the rain. God, I, I prayed for a miracle to change the nation. You give me this little old tiny rain cloud. But that rain cloud was enough. It sent rain on the entire nation of Israel because Elijah prayed and God opened up the heavens. Great victories for Elijah. I mean, he was getting interviewed on TBN, the Word Network, all the local stations. Man, he, he was there. But then look at what happens. Ahab told Jezebel everything he had done. 
Jezebel sent word to Elijah, let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow, about this time. That's the power of a woman right there, fellas. Elijah wanted to pray to old wicked Ahab. <laughs> he wanted to pray to 850 false prophets, but one woman threatened him, and boy, he took off. Ladies, y'all got power. Y'all got authority. I tell you what. What happens? When he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. He went to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, left his servant there, and he went another day's journey into the wilderness. What did he do? He laid down and prayed that he would die. Notice how quickly Elijah goes from victory to depression. One moment he was on top of the world. Moments later, he's hiding under a tree, wanting to die. Now just think with me, okay? God had just demonstrated his power on Elijah's behalf. He defeated the enemy. He, he sent rain and saved the nation. It's hard to imagine anybody can become depressed in the midst of such great things, but the truth is, sometimes our darkest moments come in the shadows of our greatest victories. People often think that depression is just a reaction to bad things in life or it comes through a season of loss, loss and pain. But there are, there are some things that we do, even in times of victory, that make us vulnerable. And that's what we want to look at with Elijah this morning. We want to look at some risk factors and some things that Elijah was doing that opened up the door in his life. Are y'all with me this morning? I won't be too long. But I want to give you four points today, and the next Sunday I'm going to give you four more points to help overcome and defeat depression. But today we're going to look at what Elijah did to open up the door in his life. Number one, okay, how to get depressed. Four easy steps. Number one, he overextended himself. The first thing you need to do is wear yourself out. Elijah had been working for God, fighting battles, praying, ministering, prophesying, but God never told him to run for his life. Elijah ran, and he ran, and he ran. He ran as far away as he could possibly run. He ran all the way to the southern tip of Israel, and then from there he ran another, day, another day's journey into the desert. He wore himself out. He pushed himself to the limit. He became physically exhausted, just like some of you may be here today. You wonder why you're facing depression, maybe because you're wearing yourself out. We put ourselves at risk when we don't rest and take care of ourselves. Some of y'all, your problem is you rest too much. Others of you, your problem is you don't rest enough. Some of you are overwhelmed because you're doing too much. You're exhausting yourself and it's taking a toll on your mental health. You're working too many hours, taking on too many projects, and you're saying yes to far too many people. Child of God, it's time to start saying no. Delete that email, hit decline, change your phone number, cut the wires to your doorbell, and who cares, move if you have to. People will wear you out, and nothing is worth losing your mind over. Amen. Some of y'all don't have enough to lose. You need to hang on to every bit you've got. <laughs> Nothing is worth losing your mind over, especially if you've got limited availability. 
Look, I'm going to give you a simple analogy, okay? Generation Church does not give people money. We don't give people money. We don't pay people's bills ever. We give you church. If you're in need, we will give you as much food as you want. And we'll give you resources of other ministries and other people who will help with power bills and utilities. But we don't do that. And I'll tell you what. Because if we said yes to everybody who calls asking for money, we would go broke in just a matter of weeks. It's simple math. We, we're not a poor church, but we have limited resources. So we choose to put our resources into helping people with food. Because if we give you more food, okay, that's grocery money that you can take and apply to these other things, if indeed you are in need. Now, how about to cover your ears? If you come to church and no food bank people are here, and you want food, I will fill your car up to the brim with food. Because I can, here's my heart, here's my stomach, I can see the man, baby. I want everybody to eat. Hallelujah. Amen. Come and, come and eat at the master's table any time. I'm thinking about the marriage cup of the lamb when I wake up in the morning and go to sleep at night. I'm going to eat for a thousand years. Hallelujah. That's my God. I mean, Jesus cooks breakfast on the beach. Sign me up. Why do we do that? Because we have a set amount of resources that God gives us, and we're going to be smart about it. It's the same thing with you. You have a limited amount of energy, time, resources, and some people will take, 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 take. They don't care what it costs you. They will sit there and take from you while you're working yourself to death. They will come to the hospital room and ask for a dollar. When you die, they won't even go to your funeral because they're going to be at your house going through your stuff. What am I saying? You should help somebody, but you can't help everybody. You are not Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. Stop trying to be Jesus. <laughs> somebody, stop trying to be Jesus. Amen. Some of y'all have a personal Messiah complex. I, I tried to say syndrome, but my wife said, don't say that one. Okay. Y'all got a personal PMC, personal Messiah complex. You are not Jesus. So stop being Jesus. Amen. <laughs> y'all weren't expecting that, were you? Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Your time on earth is short. Be smart in how you use it. Because if helping them is hurting you, something's got to change. Here's something else Elijah did to put himself at risk. Number two, he isolated himself. If our dog gets hurt, he'll come and jump on top of it. I'm convinced that if our dog dies, he's going to die sitting on top of me. He's very dramatic. Okay, if I die, I'm going to die like a cat. The cat's going to go in the woods and you never even know what happened to it. Okay, 
I get hurt, I isolate myself. Go, go away. <laughs> no. <laughs> Too many people die like dogs. Okay, I'm going to die like a cat. Okay, but listen. Don't isolate you. Don't die like a cat. Get help like a dog. Okay. <laughs> Elijah's servant had been right by his side through everything. He was there when Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal. He was with him when he was praying on the mountain. In fact, this was the guy who was right there with Elijah, checking to see if anything was changing while he was. Boy, we ought to have that kind of faith. We ought to pray and then go look and see if anything's changed yet. Instead of praying, we do a complicated prayer, golf clap prayer, just going through the mud. We ought to pray in faith, expecting God to do what we're asking Him to do. That servant was there when he confronted the prophets of Baal. He was there on the mountain when he prayed. He had been with Elijah through it all, but when Elijah ran away, he left his servant at Beersheba. He abandoned his closest friend. Quite honestly, that's what a lot of us do when we become overwhelmed. We isolate ourselves from the very people we need most in our lives. We push people away. We say, they don't understand what I'm going through. I'll just deal with it myself. And what do we do? We isolate ourselves and we put ourselves at risk. Many people, when they're struggling, they push away their godly friends and they start hanging around their worldly friends. Why? Because they want a quick fix. They want to feel, feel better fast. Listen, it's like having a flat tire. Instead of calling a tow truck, you call a guy who steals blood guts. You're going to end up a lot worse off than you are right now. Instead of hanging out with your filthy friends, you need to hang around some faith friends. Hello? You need to spend time around people who are going to build you up in your faith and encourage you in the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on. People that you spend time with are going to have an enormous influence on who you are as a person, and you will not soar with the eagles if you're scratching in the dirt with the chickens. Fidel, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is, youngsters use these days. First Corinthians fifteen thirty three says this: Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Listen, if you're going through something, surround yourself with people who are going to lift you up, not pull you down. Amen. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen: As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Stay connected to God's people. And I get the temptation, but stay connected to God's house. Stay away, staying away from church when you're depressed is like staying away from a gas station when you're running on empty. You need to be in this place. And, you're, and if you're struggling with depression, don't go to church. Volunteer in church. That's how you build deep relationships with godly people. Come and get involved. Amen? Because we all do the brother-sister thing. Come on. I've visited church before, and everybody pretended like they knew who I was because they didn't know my name, and they freaked out. But, oh, hey, brother, it's good to see you. Welcome back, brother. I'm like, oh, hey, brother, it's good to see you again, too. Praise the Lord, sister. Don't do the brother-sister thing. Get involved and build some deep relationship with people who can be there for you and pray with you and encourage you. Amen. That's my shameless plug. Number three, here's something else Elijah did. He focused on the negative. Never mind the victories Elijah just had. His problems were all he thought about. 
Some people are so negative they can make Joe Osteen cry. Listen, so many things were going right for Elijah, but all he talked about was what was going wrong. Elijah sat down and said, I'm no better than my ancestors. Elijah, nobody asked you if you were better than your ancestors. See, self-pity has a way of creating a whole reality around a negative thought. And self-pity exaggerates, doesn't it? Come on, I get, I get a hangnail and I start writing my final will and testament. Maybe I won't die like a cat. Maybe I do die like a dog. <laughs> oh, that's hurting. Listen, it doesn't matter how big your problem is. Self-pity makes it worse. Elijah said, I'll never be any better than this. Listen, faith doesn't deny the problem, but it also doesn't focus on the problem. Faith says, yes, there is a problem, but there is a God in heaven who is greater than the problem I'm facing. Amen? All right, I'm almost done. I've got to move on. The last thing Elijah did to put himself at risk of depression, number four, he forgot about God. And that's what so many of us do when we get overwhelmed. It's what Elijah did. Think about all the things God had just done in his life. He supernaturally provided food from the raven and water in the drought. I mean, that's better than Uber. That's better than Uber Eats. God sent a bird to drop a cheeseburger in his lap. Come on, y'all. That's my God. Hallelujah. <laughs> yes, Lord. I heard a preacher say, well, I got enough faith in God. I believe God will send a 200-pound chicken to nosedive right down my chimney and land right on the fire and cook it to God provided food. He provided water. God used Elijah to raise a boy from the dead. He used him to defeat the prophets of Baal when he prayed. God sent rain and restored a nation. And now Elijah is acting as if God doesn't exist. He's still the God of miracles. He's still great and mighty. Y'all are thinking, Elijah, you're so dumb. Did you know better than him? We do it too. How often do we get caught up in the drama and the last thing that comes to mind is the goodness and the faithfulness of God? I do it. Face a problem unexpected, I just freak out. I'm preaching to myself too. How many times do we act like Christian atheists? We say we believe in God. But the way we carry ourselves moment for moment, situation to situation, where where is submission and trust in God in any of that? Oh, should have saved that for next week. Come on, y'all. Don't lose sight of God. Listen, when I feel overwhelmed, and that's often these days, it seems like the world just gets dumber and dumber by the second. When I get overwhelmed, I have to stop and remind myself of the things that God has done in my life, the times that He has been faithful. And i got to remember, you know what? This problem seems crazy. This world seems messed up. But God is greater than all of that. Too many times when we get overwhelmed, we forget about the faithfulness and the goodness of God. I read this last week. It says, Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. I want to ask Pastor Yori to come and minister as we close this morning.
know, everything that he said this morning is true. Um, when it comes to depression, when it comes to everything that he said, I, I can speak that from the heart because it's happened to me. You know, I, I run from God, I hide from him, I don't seek him out, I don't go after him. And every time I do that, I get depressed, I get sad, I get isolated, right? And I do that to myself. And that's all because of me, because I don't turn to God. And our God is so great that even as we're running from Him, He's running right behind us. He said, hey, I'm right here with you. You can't run fast, I'm faster. You can't run far, I'll run farther. You can't run hard, because I'll run harder. And all we have to do is stop and turn around and say, all right, God, I give up, I quit. Just like you did, just like Elijah did, right? You have to stop and say, all right, God, I'm here. I have to remember everything that you've done for me. I have to remember everything that you brought me through. I have to remember everything that has gotten me to this place and continue to trust in you and trust in your word. You know, it reminds me, my favorite Bible verse, Hebrews 10, 39, we're not like those who sink back and are destroyed, but we're like those who have faith and are saved. You know, and I've talked about this before. If you heard me speak, I talk about, like, we're all sponges, right? And we all have that super dry doubt sponge that's underneath our sink, right? That, that green and yellow sponge that never hasn't been used and it's all dried out. But as soon as we drop that piece, that drop of water on it, what happens? It starts to come back to life, right? And the more drops of water that hit it, it starts to expand. It comes back to life. And as, as, if you keep dropping that water on it, that water is going to pour out onto, off of that sponge and pour out onto the, the counter and continue to soak everything around it, right? So if you find yourself that you are dry this morning, if you find yourself that, hey, you know what, I can't get out of this funk, I can't get out of this depression, you know what you got to do? Find another sponge. Because that sponge that God is pouring into, that he's pouring into, pressed down, shaking together, and running over, you need to huddle up with that sponge. Because eventually that sponge is going to overflow into you, and you're going to say, hey, you know what, I'm getting my moisture from this person who's getting their moisture from God, and sooner or later, I'm going to seek out that source of their water that they're getting from. So please, this morning, we're going to pray. Let's go ahead and stand up onto your feet. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now, Lord God, for anyone who is dealing with depression this morning, anyone who's dealing with hurt, with pain, Heavenly Father, I ask that you pour out into them right now, Lord God. I pray that they remove that cap, Heavenly Father, that's stopping them from seeking you, that's stopping them from coming after you, Lord God, that they're running, Heavenly Father. I pray that you pick them up right now, Heavenly Father, as I'm speaking, Lord God. Allow them to turn to you and seek your face and seek your heart, Lord God, and, and seek your mercy, grace, and love, Lord God. And just continue to bless every single person this morning, Heavenly Father. And Lord God, before we get to the, the verse and the singing again, Heavenly Father, I just want to, anybody out there this morning, Lord God, who hasn't put their heart in you, who hasn't poured their life into you, who hasn't given themselves up and, and handed their, their life over to you, Lord God. I just pray right now for that person, Lord God, that they seek you out, Heavenly Father, they, that they call on your name to be saved, Lord God. And it, I know we do a special prayer every week, but we don't have to do that prayer. There's, there's nothing more, there's nothing that in the words that I say this morning that's going to make God come into your heart. You just have to relinqu relinquish yourself. You just have to give up control. You have to give up that authority over your own life. So it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter if you repeat my words. What matters is if you change, if you give up, if you say, you know what, I don't want to hold on 
confidence anymore. So, Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that you help that person who is holding on to it, Lord God, who is holding on to that depression because they feel like, hey, if I let this go, I'm not me anymore. I just ask that you have them release that, Lord God, and that they seek you wholeheartedly, Lord God, that their hands are open up to you, Lord God, that their hearts are open, their minds are open to you, Lord God, and that you're able to pour into them this morning, Heavenly Father. Believe that God loves you. Believe that God wants the best for you, and He will give it to you. Just continue to walk in that. Seek Him and bless Him. And we just pray that. I pray that for every single person.